broadcast time making such inane foolish remarks. You must realize, of course, you have many young people listening to you, and you must direct them into patriotic good thoughts, especially this... Have here a note that says, uh, Shepard says, uh, you're constantly laughing and putting down people who constantly read books like, uh, Dr. Rubin's uh, sex manuals and how to become a brighter, purer human being and all this. What do you do when you're, uh, having moments of depression? Well, I'll tell you what I do. Get, get over there, quick. Just, just sneak it in there. Just sneak it in there. That's it. Right, just sneak it in there. I right, settle back, see. I put this on four-track quadraphonic, eight-track, multiple-type-pole stereo that I have. Seven million watts of audio. Once in a generation, a voice arrives on the scene that brings light, truth, and happiness to all men of his time. Magnificent voice that carries aloft the torch of civilization. An unforgettable experience for all those who are fortunate to live in the same time and at the same place, those who can hear the actual voice itself. And tonight you are privileged to hear such a voice. <laughs> God, you are lucky. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Ron. And then when that fails, uh, and it, it rarely does, rarely does, rarely does, because, it, it, you know, it's so true. Uh, the truth never actually fails. But sometimes the truth does not sufficiently raise the flagging spirit. In fact, sometimes the truth can be somewhat depressing. To recognize that you are a man among men can be a depressing thought. Great people throughout the ages have all wanted to be one of the little people. There's a oh yes, there's a great yearning to be part of the crawling masses, and at the same time, the realization that this is not possible. At which point, then I, I turn to something else. I turn to Ellington. <laughs> yeah. 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 Quick, who's this blowing right now? That's right. Uh, you're a man of great discrimination, taste, and knowledge. Salesman come in one day, had a big, thick hair, head of hair, 
dark, magnificent side parts and one blast of my audio system. He left a small, creeping old man with gray hair. Which is where he was always secretly inside anyway. He was born a little creeping old man. There are some people that are born just like that. They spend their whole lives creeping from bush to bush. Right? I know guys at the age of nine are already working on their retirement plan. Listen, I can no more imagine myself retiring than you can imagine the Red Baron re retiring and buying himself a little airport in West Virginia. Teaching people how to fly Cessnas. <laughs> Way to go is down in flames. talk about section work. Oh, okay. This is not a music show. I don't know why I laid this on you like this. <laughs> but there are some things that cannot be said. See, the great thing about, about certain types of music, and it's difficult to explain this to the guy with, the, with no ear, you know, there's a very famous apocryphal expression that has been, uh, there's some pretty good stuff on that, by the way. Do you notice that? Uh, there's a, an apocryphal phrase which uh, has been attributed to everybody from Fats Waller to uh, Art Tatum to uh, Louis Armstrong to Earl Wilson. And the phrase, well, I, I, it's, it's been attributed to everybody. And uh, the phrase really basically is, if somebody has to tell you about jazz, you will never know about it. It's just like sex. If you have to read about it, you'll never make it. That's a fact. And uh, if you have to study creative writing, you'll never be a writer. That's a fact. Unfortunately, one can learn certain things, basic mechanical skills, but one cannot learn to have an inner fire. You either got that blowtorch going, you ain't. Uh, speaking of that, there's, <laughs> there's another cut on that same side. Do uh, you have another cut on that same? Uh, let's, let's let you pick one, Ron. There's a man of taste and discrimination. Uh, for those of you who are curious what that was, that was Ellington's cop-out. A uh, great phrase. It was anything but. And that's why he says a cop-out, you know. But uh, if, you have to, if you have to be told, it's like humor. It's uh, people often write to me, see, and they'll take something that is absolutely, totally tongue-in-cheek, and they'll write and they'll say, Dear Mr. Shepard, do you not realize, uh, I, I'm sure you don't realize that you were probably unconsciously very funny there. However, see, and then you know that the inner flame does not burn. As a matter of fact, there's a rule of thumb in the humor world. He who laugheth at Don Rickles and Phyllis Diller has no sense of humor whatsoever. Would you please uh, uh, sneak yours on there? Yeah. <laughs> Just that little touch of discordant pepper thrown in there. Hear it? I mean, it's magic. You wonder how these guys can do this. Have you ever tried to play anything yourself? I mean, you know, you just can't believe it. I mean, it, it's really magic. Have you ever saw, have you ever watched Willie Randolph field the ball to his right? He plays for the Yankees, you know. Now, I've, several occasions in my past, have fielded balls to my right, but I have never seen anything like that. It's like he's got a, some kind of a suction cup that runs down through his arm. 
It's like he has a, a vacuum cleaner in his soul. See, and he runs, he, he glides over to his right, and he just puts that, yeah, yeah, it just sucks it up. You know, cross, goes to, and it's gone. And before you know what happens, you know, the first baseman's got the ball in the glove, and that's another one. Have you ever watched George Scott pick one out of the dirt? You can't believe it. I mean, I've seen guys pick ones out of the dirt, but generally their teeth go with it. I mean, that's a, that's, I think that has to be one of life's more scary moments. To have somebody throw one all across the diamond at you, and there's a runner charging at you, and you can hear the spikes digging into the dirt behind you, and then you see the ball has got a fast drop on it, and you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to go right into the dirt, right in front of you. That short hop which incidentally has sent more guys back to the insurance company to get a job as a salesman than any other thing, single thing in the majors. <laughs> you agree? Yeah, please bring that up there. We'll cheer that. I'm doing this for the sales department. Show you guys there are people around with soul. Unfortunately, it's usually monoral, which doesn't hurt a bit. <laughs> I mean, does God demand a quadraphonic soul? Or are you praying at the great God of the triode Macintosh in the sky? That's right, that's a lot of guys do. The great KLH of time. Da, 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 da. All right, all right, all right, that's a... Oh, yeah. You know, you know uh, I'll tell you the, about music, you know. Yeah, it, it is not, an un certainly, an unadulterated thing. I, I, uh, it's not necessarily a total boom. Because, uh, you know, in some ways, uh, music can be the novocaine of the mind. Uh, oh, yes, and uh, I suspect that, uh, uh, that guys that get really into it bad are the same guys, you know, they're looking for Novocaine, you know, to, to sort of, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm making no value judgments. I mean, I knew, uh, I knew a dentist, uh, you know, that one time says, look, he says, you know, there's nothing like uh, taking a, a triple shot of Novocaine. He says, then you're totally numb ever, all over your head. And, <laughs> uh, uh, well, you know, people, people, uh, people are, sen you know, they, they seek sensation. That's not the same as a sensation seeker. You see the difference. To seek sensation is to look for an experience. A sensation seeker is uh, somebody who can hardly re wait to read the latest uh, Truman Capote. Just says so many wonderful. You know that's a different kind of a thing. <laughs> but uh, all all uh, kidding aside, though, I, uh, one of the worst moments of my life had to deal with music, and I'll tell you what ha what happened. I'll be perfectly frank with you. And it, and it, and it's one of the basic fears that we all have. One of the basic fears that modern man has, they're not like the old-time fears. See, an old-time fear, for example, was that a saber-toothed tiger would get you. Now, I don't know many guys that are still afraid of saber-toothed tigers. Uh, well, some people are afraid of everything. See, there's a certain, uh, especially here in New York City, I think fear is an art form. And uh, to, to, uh, to have the most exotic fears you can have, uh, you're... You can, you, you can actually see the social uh, standing of a person by the number of fears he's accumulated. I know of one person who goes on all the talk shows and talks with great satisfaction of their 15 years in uh, analysis. Who? Shirley McLean. <laughs> all right, if you want to know who, see how dull an answer can be? All right, as if this is a great achievement. 
as if uh, you know having so many uh, having so many problems uh, you know with your with your head that you have to go in for a 15 year grease job. Uh, this uh, and it's said with great. Uh, you know, like like a person said, well, I spent 12 years taking eight uh, academic degrees at the University of Heidelberg. You see, the same person will say, well, I spent 37 years at the same uh, analyst. Uh, Dr. Flugelman and I are inseparable. And, in fact, I've just turned over my entire estate to Dr. Flugelman. He just, <laughs> and this is like a religion, you see. It's, uh, it's just like many people say, I have not missed Sunday school for 112 years. That shows they're really making points with God. And uh, many people who believe in the, in the problems of the mind and psychoanalytic techniques as a sort of religion believe that if they don't miss a week, they're making points with the great God Freud in the sky. And, uh, of course, you know, this is a whole different thing. Now, if you don't have any fears, you're considered neurotic. Oh, yeah, either that or totally dishonest. <laughs> oh, yes, or insensitive. That's, that's the real thing. You're not sensitive. Any person of sensibility has got fears. Uh, not necessarily, but uh, but the, the the fears that we all have, the secret fears, have not much to do with sex or rejection. They have to do with things far more terrifying than that. Uh, for example, I had this happen to me one time in one of these elegant buildings, you know, here in New York. They have these uh, great-looking buildings. Uh, New York is one of the few cities in the world that has buildings named after booze. And, uh, yeah, you know, the... The booze building, see, you know, they have these buildings, right? And then they have one named after money. Yes, this is the money building down here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have a big, uh, a big. Uh, uh, in fact, they have a, a weather predicting flagpole on the top of the money building there. Yes, they do. See, I know this town. And uh, <laughs> and when I first came, you know, I I'd look over to one, you know, on one end of the uh, my field of vision, I'd see the money building, the other end, I'd see the Seagram building. I said, you know, it's kind of reassuring. And so uh, I, I went into this, this great building on Park Avenue one day, and it was one of these blank buildings. You know, nobody can open a window in it or anything. They're totally sealed against the outside world. And it's completely sealed against any kind of reality. And every floor looks like every other floor. That's what's eerie about it. You can, no matter what floor you get off the elevator on, it looks exactly like all other 107 floors or whatever number of floors they have. And they have this sort of a... Um, kind of a coffee lay, uh vinyl walls, very bland. And all the offices have these flush doors. You, you, you don't even know what goes on in the office. It'll just have a little discreet name like uh, L.G. Flugelman Enterprises, little gold chased letters. You don't know what it is. And you can't get in them in these offices. So <laughs> you have to get the magic password. So I was up on the 88th floor or the 112th floor or something, and I go in and I see this uh, this guy I got to see, and he's got one of these enigmatic offices. Well, the uh, the office was really enigmatic. It uh, had this girl sitting there. She had pink hair. And well, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a, a lady in New York uh, that if she was living in Indianapolis, she would dye her hair blue. But this type living in New York dyes their hair pink. Have you ever seen the pink hair types? Well, uh, so she's got the pink hair, and she has a, a set of telephones to match her hair. And uh, the, the desk is sort of a kind of a pink form. Like, it's a very elegant little composition there, see. So I, I go in and I see this guy. And uh, it's, it's any one of 10 million feckless interviews that you don't know what in the hell it was about before. And you don't, you know, less after it's over. And, you know, New York, 
there's a countless rounds of going to see Mr. X uh, in, in the XYZ office. And uh, just endless moiling, like mag uh, feeding on a vast compost heap of nothing. And uh, New York, if, if all the useless interviews that will be held uh, next week were canceled magically, if a great interview fairy of the sky, Ron, got up and magically canceled all the feckless activities of next week, New York would have solved its uh, transportation problem, its smog problem. Uh, the cab business would be out of business by Wednesday. <laughs> and the phone company's revenues would drop down to probably 2 or $3 uh, that day. Uh, everybody, you know, if, if you knew, you see, beforehand that this was going to be another bummer, you wouldn't go. And if uh, some magic uh, bummer detector was... but And you learn after a while. See, so I'm in this office. I know it's a nothing... I know it's a nothing uh, interview, see, five minutes after we started. I said, well, so long, Mr. Bugleblast. I'll see you. And he says, very good, uh, very good, Fred. I'd say, no, my name is Stanley. And he'd say, uh, very good, Stan. You don't mind if I call you Stan. I says, no, no, you can call me Stan all you want. <laughs> so I waved and I went out and I go past the, the girl at the desk, see, or this lady of indeterminate years. And I said, uh, I said, uh, very interesting. She says, well, I trust that you had a good time in there. And I said, I certainly did, uh, Margie. And uh, she says, no, my name is Marcia. I said, okay, Marcia. I said, by the way, do you have the key to the men's room? She said, oh, you don't need one on this floor. <laughs> so I walk out, you know, and I looked up and down the aisle. There, there's this blank-looking uh, hallway out there, and there's a couple of blank-looking elevators with little clicking off and on lights. You know, these, you have these little Nixie lights. You know, little green lights. You know what a Nixie is, little green lights telling you what floor the elevator's on. Little green, mysterious lights clicking off. And off. People love that in these expensive offices. See? Let them, uh, you know, it gives them the illusion that stuff, something is happening in the building, like to watch the lights go on. So I walked out, and, and they had they had the, uh, uh, the, this is one of the new total, uh, how can I say it? The buildings have become as bland as much of society has become. So part of the blandness, blandness is not to have a sign on the outside of the door that says men. First of all, that's sexist. We all know that. I mean, uh, it's okay to have one that says women, but not men. Uh, see, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> so, so being a woman is not sexist. Being a man is. Uh, so uh, we have this, you know, they had these, these two Johns, one at each end of the, of the corridor there. And uh, I walk along, and one has a little mysterious sign, see, a little Greek sign for men, I guess. In other words, a mysterious Greek sign for women. Well, I figured, uh, hmm, I guess you can just take your choice. So I just went in one. And there's nobody in there, see? So they had these stalls in there, see? So Shepard goes in the stall, and all of a sudden I hear the door open, and in came two ladies. Have you ever had the uh, dramatic moment of suddenly finding yourself in the woman's job? You have had it happen to you? Well, I don't know what you did. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, you have several, uh, you can brazen it out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I ain't no sexist. <laughs> what the hell? We're all in it together, baby. You know, uh, but then you can try that, but you're liable to wind up down in the tombs. So, um, <laughs> so there's, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. So uh, I, I, I did Shepard, uh, I did Shepard's famous springing to the top of the seat act, 
at which point you leave the ground, you leap up on the seat and hang to the top and, and hope that nobody's going to try to get in. So she, she came over and she tried to open the door. She said, oh, this door must be stuck. She couldn't see anybody in there, see. And, you know, I, I was going to say in, in a voice, yes, this door is stuck. You know, <laughs> so I, I hung on there. And so they, you know, they went about their business. And pretty soon they left. Oh, my God. At which point, I, you know, I, I waited, see, I, I, I waited a reasonable time. And uh, just as I was about to go, I hear these, these high heels coming. Oh, oh, back in I go up on top and I'm hanging, see. Well, this went on for about three quickies. Uh, at the end of the third one, I said, i got to get the hell out of here. I can spend the whole morning jumping up and down off this seat here, see. So, And by that time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, getting de- I'm developing a fantastic sweat. And I know I'm going to get caught. I just know it. I just know it. And at that point, I just says, okay, after the next two leave, I'm going to wait, see. And they talk. They come in and they talk and talk. This never happens in the men's room. I don't know whether women know that the, that the, uh, so, the social life does not exist in the men's room as it does in the ladies' room. I learned that the ladies' room is really a meeting place. And there's a lot of talk, see. And some of it gets pretty, pretty hairy about the various bosses, see. I mean, if Mr. Bugleblast had known what Marsha said about him, uh, so uh, we're we're uh, you know we're we're waiting in there waiting for this uh, uh, problem to subside and then all of a sudden they two, the two left Shepard quickly darts out the door and just as I darted out the door there are these two ladies approaching and they both gave me this funny look luck would have it just as the funny look was shot through my soul the elevator opened and I leaped in. And I heard one of them say, quick, get get Fred or something. <laughs> the door closed down and went, and I could just see, I could, <laughs> you know, I could just see the, the, you know, the, the, the gossip around that floor. So, you know, these are the things that, that man, modern man fears. He doesn't fear saber-toothed tigers. He fears going in the wrong door. Now, uh, you talk about terrible fears. One night, I don't know whether you've ever driven through the Lincoln Tunnel, friends. For those of you in the Outland who have never driven through the Lincoln Tunnel, it is one of the great daily trials of many Americans. The Lincoln Tunnel is like going through purgatory. You never know whether you're going to make it through. You know, that's the whole essence of purgatory, if you know anything about religion. Purgatory is the room where they set you down to decide whether you're going to heaven and hell. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's Lincoln Tunnel, see. So I'm, I'm driving along. See, I'm absolutely oblivious. And I got my radio going, see. The old radio's blatting away in the car, see, and the music is playing, and I'm listening to this music, see. It's going along there, see, and I'm one of those guys who, when the music is going, I've got it turned up full blast in the car, you know. My eyeballs glaze and my mouth sort of hangs open, see, and it's playing away there. Little did I realize I was going to be outdone, you know, and sabotaged and sunk without a trace by the whole world of music. This thing is blowing away there, see, and I'm driving along. And I'm going mile after mile. See, I'm heading back to Manhattan after a very serious thing over in New Jersey, and I have to be on time where I'm going, or else, buddy, like I'm doing a live television show, right? I'm driving along there, see, behind me, 28 million cars. Now, I am driving a very expensive exotic machine. I am driving, believe it or not, a Porsche Spider. A Spider. You don't know what a Spider is, the great Porsche Spider? Well, this one has raced several times in Germany. It had raced in many races here in America, and now Shepard's driving it along there, see. People are looking at it, see. And I'm cooling along with the music playing, and I suddenly enter the tunnel. The radio's playing. Oh, and then it fades out, see. 
The radio fades out. Zap. You know how when you get in the tunnel, it's gone, see? And suddenly I realize, oh, my God. I was listening to this music. I've got to make it to the other end of the tunnel. I forgot to get gas. I got halfway through the tunnel and... And stopped. Right at rush hour. Have you ever run out of gas in the Lincoln Tunnel at rush hour? With 4,000 vehicles lined up behind you, stretching all the way to Trenton? And you're driving a $14,000 car, for starters? And it's got an open top and they can all see you? I want to tell you, friends, I sat there for a second and I thought, it, it, it's got to have just a little bit hanging down in the bottom of the carburetor. I try to start it. It did. It had a little bit in the bottom of the carburetor, like a drop and a half. It was gone. And I just sat there and the horn started to blow. What do you do? Then I see in the rearview mirror this great big truck coming with the red and yellow lights going, dee, 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 dee. and this great big guy gets out wearing this leather suit. He says, well, all right, stupid, what happened? And the horn's blowing, and I can see everybody stop, blocked up. People are having babies in the tunnel behind me, and fires are breaking out in Jersey City. Ambulances are waiting to get through. And there I'm sitting there. Didn't get gas because I was listening to Boots Randolph. Ever since that time, every time I hear Boots Randolph, I get a little itchy. I get a little itchy. Boots, you can blow that thing. That's all right. You're supposed to do that. It's okay. You can blow that thing. But don't blow it too loud in my ear, buddy. One of the great embarrassing moments of my life. And a guy stuck his head out of a truck. So they're driving one of them little foreign tin cans. Get it out of the way. Hmm. I turned and looked at him. And he's in an 18-wheeler. He's in a Kenworth about 37 feet high. He was made entirely out of gristle and stubble. And his, his partner looked out of the other window and says, Hey, you stupid. I don't teach you to buy one of them foreign tin cans. And then he hit the air horn. Parted my hair from the back, you know. So man's real fears are going in the wrong door. Running out of gas in the Holland Tunnel. These are true fears. Arriving at the great toll gate of life, and you got not a cent on you. Oh, God. <laughs> uh -huh.